afternoon and greetings to all our brethren around the world. Welcome to all our guests today. Thank you, Mr. Beatty, for that beautiful piano composition. I hope we can all recapture true values of beautiful music in 2007. Last weekend, we rejoiced in the Sabbath with 250 or more in attendance. We had two days of the previous week meeting with L4T students And then we had a combined seminar on Friday with additional singles. I asked uh, one young man if he profited from the activities and the classes, and he said, uh, my brain is so full of information, I can't think. (laughs) So apparently it uh, had some value for him anyway. But most of our guests uh, commented that they really appreciated the opportunity to visit headquarters here in Charlotte and to fellowship with so many uh, young adults. And in just two days, we begin another calendar year in the history of mankind. We know God's calendar begins in the spring, and this year it will be March 20th, will be the first day of the sacred year. But it just seems like yesterday that we marked January 1st, 2006. Time marches on. The Latin term is tempus fugit, which means time flees, or more commonly translated as time flies. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. Most of you know this, but uh, those of us who are A-type personalities are always thinking about time, but God encourages us all to redeem the time. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 14. Wherefore, he says, awake you that sleep. Now, obviously, he's talking about sleeping spiritually. Awake you that sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Uh, He is the light of the world, and he tells us to be the light of the world too. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. In other words, make the most of your time here on earth. But we know, brethren, that every day brings us closer to the kingdom of God. As time marches on, are we personally marching toward the kingdom? Are we spiritually advancing toward the kingdom? And how can we advance and not retreat? We know Matthew 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, is that your goal? The title of the sermon today is 2007, Advancing Toward the Kingdom. At this time of year, many others make New Year's resolutions. As you know, I follow the comic strip, and recently there was one of this precocious child writing down New Year's resolutions. Non sequitur, some of you know that. Some of them are good, and some of them are not so good. But nonetheless... Here is this child with a heading on his paper, New Year's Resolutions. And so the precocious child thinks and thinks, what can I resolve for the new year? That wasn't in the comic strip, but I presume that's what the child was thinking. What can I change in my life? All of a sudden, the light goes on in the child's head. In the next comic strip block, you see he writes one sentence and then walks off. And you look at the paper It says, New Year's resolution, don't mess with perfection. So, in other words, I don't need to make any changes for the new year. I don't have to set any goals. I don't need to develop or grow 
Don't mess with perfection. But our whole life purpose is to become perfect, as it tells us in Matthew 5, verse 48. But what are your goals for 2007? What do you want to change in your life? Today we'll discuss seven strategies or keys for advancing toward the kingdom in 2007, but let's briefly review 2006. In 2006, we all rejoiced in the holy days. We celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with joy and hope and vision. And the gospel grew in power last year with a growing number of television stations, now up to 205 broadcasting or televising tomorrow's world television program. And we've had an increase in response from the telecast of 27% in 2006. We received record requests for ministerial visits. We call them go-tos. And we're baptizing television respondents two and a half times the rate of the programs that were done by Mr. Ted Armstrong and Mr. Herbert Armstrong in the years ago. Of course, they had many more commercial stations, so the total number was much larger. We will soon begin broadcasting on CH Network in Canada, another nationwide network. The semi-annual letter was mailed out to 285,000 subscribers. And as Mr. Meredith mentioned in the church bulletin and the announcements, we've had 19,665 responses, and of course they're still coming in. Uh, Please continue to pray for the response to the semi-annual letter, that it will be a witness to our audience and it also sow seeds for the future. In 2006, we saw prophecy fulfilled. Mr. Meredith's semi-annual letter outlined six perils we face in the Western world. He's also mentioned this on the telecast and in a sermon. Number one was militant Islam. It wants to conquer the West. Number two, illegal immigration. Number three, the rising beast power in Europe. Number four, America's overstretched military. Number five, the impending economic implosion. And number six, our moral collapse. The wars are continuing. And as Mr. Charles O'Glynn brought out in the sermonette, we, on the other hand, need to be peacemakers while the world continues to escalate in conflict and in hate. These perils indicate, again, those aspects of fulfilled prophecy as well as future trends. Let's turn to Luke 21, Scripture you know all well, Luke 21, but as we take a little thought and meditation about our goals for 2007, and I hope that you did that at the Passover season, and perhaps even at the Feast of Tabernacles time, you set goals. If we don't set goals, you're not going to reach new levels of accomplishment and success. Luke 21, verse 34 And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And with the information uh, advancing, our information overload just weighing us down from time to time, I find it so difficult trying to figure out what information to process and which information uh, to ignore. But I've actually disciplined myself now that I know just looking at the envelope coming into the office whether to take the time to uh, open it or just to immediately toss it. And uh, I'm saving time now. I've begun to identify uh, what mail to toss immediately. But it's that information overload. We can get overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, 
so that day come upon you unawares. And it's those who have had a little too much to drink that often get into wrecks, automobile accidents. We've had quite a few accidents here in Charlotte from DWI drivers that have caused deaths in the areas, or those who have had a little too much to drink and get into arguments and lose the self-control and discipline and Christianity that should be a part of their very nature. For as a snare, verse 35, shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch you therefore. That is, you need to be awake and alert, observant, and pray always. Is that something that's a part of your life? Is it a part of your nature? Are you predictable? Is it a part of your character? Does God know tomorrow morning that when you get up, or at least sometime in the morning before you go to work, you'll be on your knees praying? Or does God know, well, I have no idea whether this person is going to pray tomorrow morning or not. Is it a part of your character, a part of who and what you are? Do you have that intimate and predictable relationship with God and with Christ? Watch you, therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And what all those things that are coming to pass include the great tribulation, just horrific oppression. The Holocaust would just seem mild by comparison to what is going to happen in the future. And to stand before the Son of Man. Notice it isn't just that we watch and pray to escape these things, but we watch and pray to stand before the Son of Man. And that should be all our goal. That This is what we want. We want to be in Christ's bosom. We want to be married to Him as the bride of Christ. And we're preparing the church for that time. So in 2007, we need to look forward to those developments that we know are bringing us closer to the kingdom. I was looking at another cartoon here recently and uh, another non sequitur by Wiley Miller. And uh, in this case, uh, you know, I like Calvin and Hobbes, and Calvin is the little precocious boy and Hobbes the tiger. But in this case, uh, this little child, the same precocious one that put down the uh, New Year's resolution, but now it's a talking pony, and the talking pony is... uh, giving this uh, child a sled ride through the snow. And the talking pony says, um, lost, uh, the, the little child says, okay, one group of follow- followers willingly sacrifice themselves to blow up people who follow a different religion. And the pony says, uh, um, you lost me there. Explain that again. Well, the other group of followers are willing to commit all of their ref- resources to launching overwhelming military strikes retaliation. The pony is taking the child up a hill in the sled. Yes, the pony says, can't get more fanatical than that, eh? Then the child said, they're willing to blow up the entire planet. And the pony says, and how about the third group of followers? Now they're sledding down the hill. The pony's on the little sled with the, with the child. Um, oh, and why are they all doing this to each other? The child says, to prove which one is the true religion of peace. And they go off and, uh, off the hill and land up in a tree. And the pony says, I'll never understand how you guys made it to the top of the food chain. <laughs> and the child says, well, they don't call it blind faith for nothing. 
But I thought it was so, uh, so poignant or so to the point uh, that here all these religions trying to blow, on, uh, blow each other up just to show that they are the true religion to bring about peace in the world. Uh, we know the real way to peace, and we heard about that in the sermonette. Their challenges strengthen our faith. They even strengthen the body of Christ, the church. We pray for those who have left, that they will see the light, and that they will eventually be in God's kingdom. But we will stand for the truth with courage. We will defend the truth, and we will preach the truth until Christ returns. As Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In 2006, several of God's people died. They now sleep in Jesus, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, 14. And they, and I hope we, will be with them when we meet Christ at the last trumpet. Our elder in Perth, Australia, Mr. Kenneth McLeod, died on June 18, 2006, at age 75. The widow of our deceased elder, Mr. Sid Hegvold, Mrs. Mary Hegvold, died on December 17, 2006, at the age of 80. We all look forward to joining them all in the resurrection when Christ returns. But those of us who are alive must commit ourselves to joining them in the resurrection. We'll turn to 1 John, the fifth chapter, 1 John 5. How are we going to be with them in the resurrection. It takes commitment, and it takes that relationship with God and with Christ, to whom we are deeply committed. 1 John 5 and verse 6. The Apostle John says, Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then uh, verse 6, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record. Now, at that point, you have to cross out the next uh, several words, uh, because that was added during the Vulgate and is not in the original. So it should read, For there are three that bear record. Then you skip to the middle of verse 8. The Spirit and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. That section, of course, should be omitted in, uh, in between. For there are three that bear record, the Spirit, the water, the blood, and these three agree in one. That's in the inspired text. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. Now notice verse 11. As we look forward to the future, as we read in that time essay, we have no guarantee that we'll be even living tomorrow or the next day. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. Now that's pretty deep, but I wanted to bring it out here when we understand that we have loved ones, the saints who sleep in Christ, will be in the resurrection. Because you don't know whether you're going to be living the next day or two days or three days from now or a month from now, but 
If you understand that you have eternal life and that life is in Christ and He is in you, then you have a confidence, you have a vision for the future. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to worry about death. Because if you die, you know you have eternal life in the next split second of your consciousness at the resurrection. He that has the Son, the Christ in him, Galatians 2.20, has life, and he that has not the Son of God is not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't fall away. We know Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6 that give us that warning that we have to be faithful to the very end. But if we are close to Christ, He's living His life in us, then He that has the Son has life. So think about that for the years ahead, and particularly for 2007. People die, just as our president, former president of the United States, Gerald R. Ford, died at age 93. He was the 38th president of the United States and the only non-elected president. And of course, as you read, most of you know, as he became president when Richard Nixon resigned as a result of the Watergate scandal. The New York Times gave this headline, In 896 days, he uh, led America out of a nightmare. So we have a commitment to be close to God and to Christ as we look forward to 2007. Now, there are other lighter reviews of 2006 and 2007. I wanted to share with you uh, some of those. I think you know... Time Magazine always has a special magazine at the end of the year, the person or of the year. Uh, do you know, how many of you know who the person of the year is this year? Good, I think. The person of the year is you. So I thought that's probably the lamest of all of their persons of the year that they've ever come up with. Um, they have a little mirror here, so you're supposed to see yourself and say, I am the person of the year. Uh, you, yes, you, you control the information age, welcome to your world. So that's the rationale behind your being the person of the year. U.S. News and World Report has this one, 50 ways to improve your life in 2007. Top Tech, uh, 2006, Popular Science. 100 Best Innovations of the Year, uh, Discover Magazine, Scientist of the Year, um, The Book Club, 25 Greatest Science Books of All Time, Popular Science, uh, we can look for uh, Peace in Space, no, uh, Marines in Space, um, an audacious plan to get our troops anywhere in two hours or less, uh, Discover Magazine, uh, Top 100 Science Stories, of 2006, and the best magazine of all, Tomorrow's World. <laughs> so science will make predictions, and technology will improve, but we need to look about our advancement towards the kingdom. In most days, if not every day, we pray God's kingdom come, and when we see the violence, the injustice, the evil, the murders, and Satan's influence in human affairs, we yearn, I hope we all yearn, for the kingdom to come. Why do you want the kingdom to come? Mr. Meredith's very first article in the Tomorrow's World magazine 
back in 1999 was seven reasons why Christ must return. Uh, Do you have your reasons why you want the kingdom to come? We want to see Satan and his demons put away. We want to see false religion and false education replaced with true education and true religion. We want to see oppression and violence put away and replaced with peace and people who know how to bring about peace, the way to peace, who live that way. We want to see the kingdom of God established here on earth. And God has called us to prepare ourselves, the church, and the world for the coming kingdom and for the awesome prophetic events leading up to the very last trump. And we must all advance to the kingdom in 2007. So how can we do that? And what are some of the strategies? Well, let's consider seven strategies to advance toward the kingdom in 2007. Number one is to face the future with confidence. You say, well, I don't know that I can face the future with confidence. I'm just looking at, it's funny, I just looked on my page here right after the last verse I read, 1 John 5, verse 14, I have highlighted in in, uh, purple. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We need to face the future with confidence this coming year. The article in Tomorrow's World magazine titled Overcoming Your Anxieties of May-June 2003 gave five principles. The first one was prepare for the prophesied future. This principle is so important. The wise King Solomon stated it twice in Proverbs. Proverbs 22.3, Proverbs 27.12. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the wicked pass on and are punished. How do you face the future with confidence? Well, you watch and pray, as we already read in Luke 21.36. You know the sequence of events from the Bible, and that should give you confidence. You know the three great milestones that we brought out on the telecast. Number one is the Great Tribulation. Number two is the Heavenly Signs. And number three is the Day of the Lord. That gives you a framework for the last three and a half years leading up to the return of Christ. Let's turn to Revelation, the first chapter, just over the page in my Bible. Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now notice again the purpose of this book of Revelation. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have at least been reading in the book of Revelation this past year? Notice he says, to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. It's not to hide the events, but it's to reveal the sequence of events leading up to the return of Christ. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, number one, of the testimony of Jesus Christ, number two, and of all things that he saw. Verse three, do you want to be blessed? Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Maybe take courage for some of you to read the book of Revelation. But God says he will give you a blessing for reading it. Why? Because you will be facing up to reality. You'll be facing the future with confidence. So number one is we can advance toward the kingdom by facing the future with confidence. 
turn back to Luke 21. Again, Luke 21. Uh, scripture Mr. Meredith uh, refers to to give us hope and encouragement. Luke 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, yes, tsunamis, men's hearts failing them for fear or from terror, as the NIV has it, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth where the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Then verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, what should be your attitude? Then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. In other words, it should give us courage, it should give us confidence, it should give us assurance. Number one is to face the future with confidence. Number two, and we've had uh, sermons on this in the past, uh, see the big picture. We all face trials, big and small, and we suffer individually and as a church, as we have these past few weeks. And at such time, it's important to focus on the big picture. In 1998, we had a big disruption in the church. And I remember walking under the stars at night and uh, looking up at the constellations and realizing that all the pain and agony that I was feeling from the disruption and conflict within the church that here these stars, these constellations, have been there for billions of years. They were there long before I was born. They're going to be there long after I'm in the kingdom, God willing. And, uh, you know, it gave me a sense of comfort. You know, we all go through stresses and trials, but when you look up into the heavens, you realize, look, they were there billions of years ago. Mr. Armstrong would ask the question, what is Jesus Christ doing now? What has he been doing since his death, burial, and resurrection? Well, take a look at uh, Hebrews, the seventh chapter, as we get the big picture. So when we go through trials, we need to look up at the heavens. We need to look to God's throne, the throne of grace, as he tells us to come boldly before in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Speaking of the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, Jesus was made a surety of a better testament in verse 22. Verse 24, but this man, because he continues ever, ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25 of Hebrews 7, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost or evermore that come unto God by him, saying he ever, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So you have a great high priest who ever lives. He's not like a physical priest who can die, but he's there eternally for you as your high priest. And I don't know if you really take advantage of that. When you go to the throne of grace, when you go to God's throne, you realize your great high priest is at the right hand of God. And whatever trials and problems, frustrations, um, sins, guilt that you have, you have a high priest at God's right hand to intercede for you. And he says he will save you forevermore. It just reminds me, of course, of Peter when he was walking out on the ocean, you know. And, and uh, he said, well, Lord, bid me to walk on the water. And he did. And, of course, he saw the waves 
tempest and uh, just got his eyes off Christ and began to sink there in Matthew 14 and said, well, Lord, save me. And, of course, Jesus let him drown. No, Jesus didn't let him drown. He said, immediately, Jesus reached down his hand and saved him. Saved him. And I, I don't know how many of you have ever asked Christ or God to save you. You should. You say, well, that's selfish. Well, there are times when we need that help. We need that assurance. We need that comfort. We ask God to save others. We are in the business of witnessing to the world and helping those whom God is calling to be saved, ultimately. We are saved from our past sins. We are now being saved, and we shall be saved. He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved, as it says in Matthew 24, verse 13. So let's turn now to Colossians, the first chapter, Colossians 1. So we see the big picture. Christ is a part of that big picture. And God's throne of grace is a part of that big picture. Your Savior has all power and authority in heaven and in earth, as he says in Matthew 28. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he is the appointed heir of all things, or the universe, whom also he made the worlds, NIV has universe, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, express image is the Greek word character, the only time that word is used in the New Testament, meaning an exact impress or a stamp of uh, the uh, one that is stamping, uh, and upholding all things, again the universe, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's the kind of power he has. Colossians 1. And as that powerful being, he is also the head of the church. And uh, because there are so many different groups, individuals don't put much stock in Christ's power within the church. Colossians 1, verse uh, 15. <clears throat> and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So Christ is always the head of the body. That will never change. He's the head of the church. And I hope that we understand that and you understand that. So let's get the big picture and understand that Christ is in charge. He sustains the universe with the word of his power. The gates of the grave will not prevail against the church. He's in charge. The second key for advancing toward the kingdom is to see the big picture. We need to visualize the kingdom as we did during the Feast of Tabernacles and continue to keep that vision in mind. The third way to advance toward the kingdom is to support God's work. The head of the church, we just read, has given us the instructions and the mission to perform. You know those, so I won't turn to them. We've turned to them recently. The Great Commission, as commentators call it, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. To make disciples of all nations, 
and to teach whatsoever he commanded them to the rest of the world. Mark 16:15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we brethren as physical human beings who are weak in our own physical entities and state, but we have power that God gives us and he opens the doors. We've started new stations in Jacksonville, Florida on December 3rd. Also in Indianapolis will be a new station and I'll previously mention the CH Nationwide Network in, in Canada. And as I've encouraged you before to support the work, to be aware as ambassadors for Christ, to let others know about the magazine, to let others know about the channels and stations in your local area. We have guests here from um, you know, where Kansas City and uh, all over the place, California. Uh, but know the station times and channels where Tomorrow's World Telecast is uh, viewing. In fact, uh, how many of you saw the telecast this morning? <laughs> okay, we had three today. Oh, very good. And, uh, of course, that's Mr. Smith's uh, new program, so I hope you all all see that. But I uh, hope you know that here locally that you can tell others in the community that you can see it on WGN at 6 o'clock in the morning, and then uh, on uh, Sunday nights, uh, that's in Canada on Vision Network at 5.30, but here locally on WAXN, Channel 10. So again, if you have that in mind, brethren, you are advancing towards the kingdom because you're supporting the gospel going out to the world. I hope you will do that. As I said before, Christ has all that power and He is opening up more doors. But turn to Matthew 9, verse 36, Matthew 9, I hope that you pray this frequently because Christ told you to. You could do a Bible study on what did Christ tell you to pray. Uh, This is one of those sections. He says unto his disciples, verse 37, Matthew 9, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Have you been doing that? Do you do that continually? I pray for more ministers, for more members, for more co-workers, for more donors, for more laborers into the harvest. And I hope that you're praying for the ministry around the world. All of you uh, have been given the photo album, the ministerial photo album, and I hope you use that. We've lost some ministers from that album, but we still pray for them. So use that ministerial photo album as a means of praying for the ministry. If some of you don't uh, have one of those, uh, check with our receptionist at headquarters, and we'll see if we can get you one of those photo albums. As Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in a co-worker letter, August 28, 1967, quote, And I repeat again, in 33 and one-half years of this work, I have noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interests are in the work. God's work. That's so key. Some of those who who left recently and were accusing us of watering down the gospel never were watching the telecast. Had they seen the telecast, they never would have made such an accusation. The gospel is going out and in power, telling the nations to repent and our Western nations to repent. 
Those who don't have their hearts in the work are going to be susceptible and vulnerable to Satan's deceptions. So a third strategy for advancing toward the kingdom is to support God's work. A fourth key for advancing toward the kingdom is to train for the future. So as you pray for more laborers in the harvest, are you serving and preparing for servant leadership in God's church? There are many ways you can prepare for service. I've just mentioned one, and that is dedicate yourself to watch every telecast you can. Why? Because that's the mission of the church. That's what Christ is doing. Now, some of you don't have access to uh, computers or where you could watch the telecast on, uh, on your computer. Uh, others of you don't have access to uh, seeing it on a local network. Although in Hickory, our station up there is uh, local, and we're getting quite a response from those who don't have cable and can see it on the local station in Hickory, North Carolina. But dedicate yourself to watch every telecast you can. Uh, we may have mentioned uh, to you that uh, Mr. Smith's telecast will not be shown on WGN because of some very strong statements he made about abortion. And that's the first time WGN has cut one of our programs. In other words, we have to, we're blasting out as strongly as we can, but every once in a while, the station will cut us back because we're speaking too strongly. They just can't take it. Yet we're going to continue to preach as strongly as we can without, uh, and trying to be right on that uh, narrow line where it can be strong as we can without, again, being kicked off of all of our stations. In preparation for service, in addition to dedicating yourself to watch every telecast you can, when I was a student at Ambassador, I would make sure that I listened to every radio broadcast. They were on radio, not television in those days. And it was on daily. And I would listen to it over Burbank, was it, or Glendale, I guess, uh, every day. It was on 7.30 and at noon. Was it noon or 12.30? Noon. And uh, Mr. Ted Armstrong would be making a live broadcast. And I would listen to it at noon or I would listen at 7.30, dedicated myself to listen to every single radio program. And on Sundays, there was a Sunday program. Why? Because it's the work of Christ. It's the work of God going on. I remember one time Mr. Herbert Armstrong was being facetious. He had given a uh, sermon in the auditorium, and he knew his telecast was going to be on the next day in the local Los Angeles station. And he said, uh, as he's concluding his sermon, well, I suppose you brethren are just not going to watch the telecast tomorrow morning. You're all busy with your own activities. And boy, he, got, he said, you need to watch that telecast tomorrow morning. And uh, I hope that we understand what Christ is doing and what is going on. We're just not out here playing games. We want to recapture the true values of games, of course. And we hopefully did that when we had our youth activities here. But number one, dedicate yourself to watching every telecast you can. Number two, in preparation of service. These are subpoints, of course. When I received the Plain Truth magazine years ago, you might turn to John the 10th chapter while we're bringing out this point, John the 10th chapter. I was wondering... I made it a point to read the editorial by Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong as the first article I would read. Why? Because Jesus said here in John 10, 
and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And then uh, verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Are you hearing the voice of Christ as he speaks through his church? So if you are really training for leadership, you're praying for laborers go in the harvest, you can be one of those laborers. You can be a leader in the church. But you need to have the perspective in your heart in what Christ is doing. A third way, after television, after watching the uh, and reading the Tomorrow's World and LCN editorials and the articles by Mr. Meredith, the third way is the Bible study course. Now, most of you know we've just started to uh, bring four individual lessons into one publication. So this is four in one, lessons one through four, the Bible, a book for today. How many of you are now taking the Bible study course right now? Okay, uh, not very many. How many have completed uh, the Bible study course? Good, a good number of you have already completed all 24 lessons. If you want to be a leader in God's church, then I exhort all of you to go through and to study all 24 lessons. Dedicate yourself to study all 24 lessons of the Bible study course. When I went to Ambassador College, I had gone through about 16 of the Ambassador College Bible study, uh, Bible correspondence course lessons. And I knew from that fundamental study, I had a foundation that helped me to go through Ambassador College and also, in a sense, to check up on my teachers and uh, others. What were they teaching? Were they teaching the, the foundational truths? So, brethren, all of you, we are training to be kings and priests. This is your opportunity to train. So that's number three. Number four, in preparation. These are sub-points to pre- number four, preparing uh, yourself for service, is dedicate yourself to complete the living leadership course. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We've just had the one class here, which we had 86 in attendance. Uh, Mr. Uh, David Crockett gave uh, lesson number one of that course. And, of course, we're going to be giving uh, more of those lessons as time goes on. The outlying church areas, some of them are uh, far advanced up through lesson five or lesson six. But dedicate yourself to complete the living leadership course. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and starting with verse, let's just read verse uh, 9. Chapter 1, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 1. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions or schisms among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, if we've all studied the Bible study course, if we've all been through the living leadership course, if we're watching the telecast, if we're reading the Tomorrow's World magazine and LCN to see where Christ is leading, we will be of the same mind. We will be speaking the same thing. And we can be so unified that you as a servant leader can serve God's church more effectively. I hope all of you know the true core beliefs 
of the living church of God. And if you don't have a statement of fundamental beliefs, uh, please request, uh, request one. So the fourth key for advancing toward the kingdom is train for the future. The last three strategies are brought out here in 1 Thessalonians 1. We'll turn to 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome blessing that is. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in your, our prayers, remembering without ceasing, and here are the three last keys for advancing to the kingdom, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. The fifth key to advance towards the kingdom is to exercise a work of faith. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. And we here have the definition of faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for, the evidence or the confidence of things not seen. Faith is an assurance. It's a confidence that God gives us. And how do we get that faith? Well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, as you know, in Romans 10 and verse 17. God's work has always been a work of faith. And I always remember writing into uh, Pasadena, California, my first acquaintance with the church back in the late 50s and early 60s. And what was the address? It was Post Office Box 111, Pasadena, California. And we always reminded ourselves that 111 reminded us of Hebrews 11.1, uh, the definition of faith. God's work has always been a definition of faith. I told you that story before, but some of you don't remember that my basketball jersey number in, uh, when I was in the faculty at Big Sandy, Texas, was uh, 22. And I thought, ha, ah, that's twice the 11, and the 11th chapter of Hebrews is the faith chapter, so that's double faith. But I looked it up in a book in the library on the significance of biblical numbers. And I looked up the number 22, and it said, the number of chaos and confusion. <laughs> but, of course, that cannot be true because the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are also reflective of the 22 books in the Old Testament. So uh, that uh, was an error on someone's part. The number five is to exercise a work of faith. Let's turn to James, the second chapter. James 2. Verse 18, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Here are two different kinds of Christians, as Barclay brings out in his commentary. You know, I'm a, I'm a faith Christian, but I don't have to have works. But the other one says, I'm a works Christian, but I don't have to have faith. And uh, James, again, shows the error in that either-or argument, that either-or fallacy, which uh, I've already commented on that in the last sermon I gave. And I will show you my faith by my works, he says. You believe that there is one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
And he shows how Abraham showed his faith by his works. Abraham believed God, verse 23, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness that he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Well, it's the faith that justifies us, but it's faith that is exemplified with godly works. But we need to exercise faith, particularly in this faithless age. Philadelphians will have the faith that Christ is the head of the church, as we already read in Colossians 1 and verse 18. Christians who have faith are learning God's government and way of administering and organizing the church and the work. The summary then, the fifth key for advancing towards the kingdom is live by faith, exercise a work of faith. Key number six is labor in love. We just saw that the Thessalonians were commended for their labor of love. Romans 13, verse 10, I won't turn there, I'll just quote it. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. But there are different ways of serving and showing love to the brethren and showing love to the community. Uh, Turn there to Galatians, the sixth chapter, Galatians 6. That should be a mission statement for all of us, even the headquarters church for that matter. Verse 9 of Galatians 6, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, Galatians 6.10, Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, under this heading, I want to encourage you to set specific service objectives. We have many wonderful servants here, and as Mr. Meredith mentioned in the announcements, so many served to help with the guests that we had for the dinner and the banquet and the L4T and the singles activities last weekend and the previous week. And we really appreciate that service, just wonderful help. But there are some others who have not found a way to help and to serve and would like to. I remember uh, Kermit Nelson, uh, and uh, his wife had died of cancer. And uh, there was a widow also who was the widow of the food service director of the uh, campus in Big Sandy. He died, and she was left a widow. So both mates had died of cancer. And they went out visiting together. There wasn't a romantic uh, purpose for them to go out visiting, but uh, here's a widow and a widower who went out to visit uh, elderly people and others, sick people, and those in the Big Sandy area. And as a result of that service together, um, they got uh, fell in love and they finally got married. But the point is that there are different ways of service. You might set a goal, and this is a specific purpose statement, if you will, set yourself specific service objectives. Maybe it's to meet three new church attendees a week and to obtain their address and phone number. There are other specific service objectives, write or email non-member relatives. Uh, My wife and I sent out electronic uh, Thanksgiving cards. We didn't uh, got behind, but it sent out uh, e-cards to some of my non-member relatives. And uh, there are other ways. You can also... Now, here's a specific service objective. Encourage the minister. 
particularly the guest speaker. I'm not a guest speaker so uh, in this case. But whenever we have a guest speaker, try to make it a mission to help out. I know in some churches I might attend uh, as a guest speaker. I'm, I'm dying of thirst because everyone's having snacks. Uh, but once in a while, a deaconess or someone will remember, oh, here's a guest speaker. He might be thirsty and bring him a glass of water. And uh, just that little thoughtfulness of thinking beyond yourself of how can I help, how can I serve someone else, and even select one point in the sermon that you remember, that you were impressed with. Now, I don't want you all to inundate me after services. That's not the point. This is, But sometimes when there is a guest speaker or when you're traveling and you're hearing a minister, try to select one or two points out of the sermon and tell the minister, well, you know, this particular point you brought out reminded me of such and such, and I really appreciate the way you said that. You can be a service. You can be of help. And, of course, you can share your life in the broader sense. Uh, that's sermon number 249 in our sermon tape library. Um, my wife and I, uh, when we were going house hunting one time, just uh, took a widow with us to share our lives with us. And uh, as a single student, when I went jogging, I would want to share my life. I would ask a co-ed girl to go with me. You want to share your life a little bit and what you're doing. We have Christian responsibilities, but try to do your best to help others and set specific service objectives. So number six is labor in love. Number seven is exercise patience in hope or persevere in hope. Uh, Mr. Apartian gave a sermon, uh, number 32, in our tape library titled Hope. Uh, Mr. Meredith gave a sermon titled Hope and Positive Thinking, number 134, in our tape library. Let's turn to uh, Acts 23 and verse 6. Acts 23 and verse 6. Now, uh, my wife and I saw this stage play one time. It was actually patterned after... Uh, Faust, the opera Faust. Uh, I think it was, uh, is that the one in which you got to have hope, miles and miles and miles of hope? Is that the one, uh, Damn Yankees? Is that the one? No one here? I think that was one. Well, we don't have people who go out and recapture the true values of music in the world. Anyway, someone could confirm that with me. But there's that song, you got to have hope, miles and miles of hope. And, of course, hope is not just a wish. Sometimes we take hope as meaning we just have a wild wish for something. But the biblical hope is more of an anticipation. It means an expectation of something that is founded on a promise. We don't, we don't wishy-washy hope when it comes to God's kind of hope. It's an ex expectation. It's an anticipation. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 23 in verse 6 when he was before the Sanhedrin, he said, well, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. What are some of the hopes, the expectations that you have? He says he's, I won't turn there, but he says in Romans the 8th chapter, verse 20, that he subjected the creation in hope. And if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That's Romans 8 and verse 25. 
Let's turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Hebrews 12. We have hope which is based on promises. It's a solid anticipation and a desire looking forward to the resurrection, looking forward to the kingdom of God. And it means that we have to persevere because it takes time, it takes patience. Uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we have a compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. We have to endure the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we run the race with patience with endurance, with perseverance. I know you know all of many examples of perseverance in sports and in life. Um, I was disappointed the other night watching the Charlotte Bobcats uh, play the New York Knicks in uh, NBA basketball when they were in the second overtime. And the Charlotte Bobcats had just one-tenth of a second left. Actually, it was the New York Knicks had the ball one-tenth of a second left. And I thought, well, now they're going to go into a third overtime. The Bobcats got a chance. But the announcer says, well, the only way that the Knicks can score with one-tenth of a second remaining is that when they, the Knicks throw it out of bounds, someone goes towards the basket and tips it in. And, of course, that's what happened. David Lee of the New York Knicks went to the basket, turned his back, one-tenth of a second, the ball went in the air, touched his hand, and he tipped it in to beat the Charlotte Bobcats. Now... The announcer knew what was going to happen, but somehow the Bobcats didn't know. (laughs) However, I just read uh, in the paper that the Bobcats won a third overtime, so they have redeemed themselves here more recently. So never give up. You have to persevere. And I I know some of you have seen the example on video. I don't know where it came from originally, but video of a young woman who was born without arms, wanted to get married, wanted to have children. And uh, here she's interviewed with her husband and her baby, and she's changing her baby's diapers with her toes and with her feet. She drives her car with her feet. She goes through the drive-in window and sticks her feet out to get the, the uh, Coke, the soft drink, through the window. And somehow she's, she's happy. She's fulfilled. No arms. And sometimes we think we complain about uh, so many different things. Yet here's someone who's persevering, and we have to have hope and just never give up. I know there's uh, one individual who has uh, cancer, and uh, it's npr.org slash mycancer. As a man dying of cancer, he knows it, and he's looking forward to 2007. And he's saying, we're already turning our attention to New Year's, where to go, what to wear. It all moves so fast, it's hard to find top to, time to stop and reflect on the past year and the coming year. So what are my hopes for the new year? It seems trite to say I hope to survive. That's pretty obvious. I guess my real hope is whether I have a whole year or less, that I use the time wisely, that I read good books, that I laugh with my friends, that I listen to good music. Even on bad days, I hope to find something that makes living that day worthwhile. worthwhile. If my cancer turns takes a turn for the worse. I hope I meet that challenge with courage and dignity. 
I hope I can comfort my loved ones and help them through this ordeal. I hope I can help them come to grips with a process that I'm already at peace with. I hope I find the time to say the things that need to be said, that I let the people in my life know how important they are to me, that I find the words so often left unspoken. I hope that even when things look dark, I remember there are many others out there facing many greater challenges. I hope I always remember that for better or worse, this is the burden I've been given to carry, and so I will carry it as long as I have the strength. In the end, even as a cancer patient, maybe my hopes for the coming year aren't all that different from anyone else's. Above all, I hope I remember that an easy life is not always the same as a good life, that the challenges, the defeats, as well as the victories are what makes things interesting, and that at the end of each day, I want to be able to say, I lived the adventure, and yet looking forward to the coming year with hope and with confidence, and to make the best of it. In 2007, we will face challenges both in the world and challenges and persecution against the church. But we have hope. We know the end of the story. In the end, we win, as you read in Revelation chapters 20 through 22. Let's turn to Proverbs, I mean Psalm 46. As we look forward to the next year, let's apply these keys for advancing towards the kingdom to persevere in hope. What changes will you make in 2007? What skills will you develop in order to serve God's church and work more effectively? We saw in Ephesians 3 that God calls us to redeem the time that we must live each day by faith. Some people say today is the beginning of the rest of your life, but for us, brethren, today is the beginning of eternity because Christ is our life. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof, thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. We can face 2007 with confidence. We face the future. We see the big picture. We support the work, we train for the future, we labor in love, we work in faith, and we persevere in hope. So, brethren, let's go forward with faith, love, and hope, and let's, let's look forward to the kingdom. It's coming soon.